All right, church. What do you expect out of your life with God? Have you ever really thought about that? You expect to be forgiven of your sins? You expect to go to heaven when you die? Is that all that we expect? What do you expect out of your life with God? Another way to consider that question, and perhaps a better way of coming to an informed answer, is to flip the question around and ask, what do you think the Lord desires for your life with Him? This is what we're considering this morning as we look at these two stories of the Lord calling His disciples from 1 Samuel chapter 3 and from John chapter 1. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to open it to those two passages as we consider two very simple but infinitely profound points about our life with God that arises from these two stories. And the first point that I want to highlight out of these passages is that it is the Lord who calls us to himself. Did you catch that in these two stories? In John chapter 1, we have two examples of this happening in the calling of both Philip and Nathaniel. In verse 43, we read that Jesus had gone into Galilee where he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Likewise, with Nathanael, just a few verses later in the story, when Philip and Andrew and Peter tell Nathanael that they think they've met the Messiah and they bring Nathanael to Jesus in order to meet him, Jesus says of Nathanael as he is approaching him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And when Nathanael asked Jesus how he knew him, Jesus replied, before Philip called you. When you were under the fig tree, I saw you. And this amazed Nathanael, not just because Jesus had an awareness of Nathanael's whereabouts that were beyond normal human understanding, but also because it showed that before Nathanael was ever thinking about Jesus, Jesus was thinking about him. And the simple point that I'm making is that in both of these interactions, it was Jesus who initiated the relationship. Philip didn't find Jesus. Jesus had gone searching for Philip and extended an invitation into relationship. Nathaniel wasn't thinking about Jesus when he was under his fig tree. Jesus was thinking about him. In both of these relationships, it's the Lord who is the initiator and the first actor. We saw the same thing in the calling of Samuel from, um, out of our Old Testament reading in 1 Samuel 3. In that passage, we were told that Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Because the word of the Lord was rare in those days and there were no frequent visions. And so the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And it was into that unfamiliarity that over and over again, Four times in this passage, the Lord came to Samuel while he was sleeping and called out to him, Samuel, Samuel. 
The Lord kept calling and calling until Samuel responded. It was God who initiated the relationship. Now, I realize that sometimes in our experience of getting to know Jesus, it can seem as if we are the ones who are seeking after him, as, we, as if we are the initiator in the relationship. Me, even in the gospel lesson from this morning, when Philip and Andrew and Peter go to Nathaniel, they first say to him, we have found the Messiah. They make it sound like it was something that they had done. And in the passage just before ours for this morning, it does appear to be Peter and Andrew who seek Jesus out and begin to follow him. But even then, they only do so because John the Baptist pointed them to Jesus. And who sent John the Baptist to do that? You see, ultimately, this is the reality. That God is always the initiator in our lives. And if we read the scriptures and if we think about this theologically, it only makes sense. I mean, consider creation. We had nothing to do with that. We literally weren't here for it. But God, out of his own initiative, made man and woman. It was true of Adam and Eve And it's been true of every other human being since then. You didn't ask to be born. But God, in his love for you, gave you life. He formed your inmost parts. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Your frame was not hidden from him when you were being made in secret, intricately woven together in the depths of the earth. God's eyes saw your unformed substance And in his books were written every one of your days before even one of them came to be. Psalm 139. Or as Paul says in Ephesians 1, that God chose us in him before the foundations of the world. Long before the world was ever made, God had chosen you. Why did he do that? What is man that he is so mindful of us? And this isn't just true of us when we're perfect, right? Either before we've been born or when we've gotten our stuff all together. Even when we've messed everything up and gotten it all wrong. Even then, it's God who constantly pursues us. When Adam and Eve were trying to hide from God because of their sin, God sought them out. Genesis chapter 3. When Abraham was calling out to other gods, the Lord called out to him. Genesis chapter 12. When Saul was persecuting Jesus by attacking his church, Jesus came to him in Acts chapter 9. This is who our God is. One who is willing to come to his own even when his own won't receive him. John 1. One who is willing to be reconciled to us while we are still his enemies. Romans chapter 5. No matter what we do, God keeps coming after us and coming after us. Like the hound of heaven, as Francis Thomas, the 19th century British poet described him. 
God never stops pursuing us in his love. This is why the scriptures tell us that the only reason that we can ever love God is because he first loved us. 1 John 4. Our love for him is only and always a response to his love for us. It's why Jesus himself in John chapter 15 said to his disciples, You did not choose me, but I chose you. Even today, right here and right now, the Lord is pursuing you. In Revelation chapter 3, which is Christ's letter to his church, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Even here and now, Jesus is pursuing you, knocking on the door of your heart, desiring to enter in or to enter further in. He's constantly pursuing us in his love. And the reason that all of that matters, very simple, yet profound Reality about God's pursuit of humanity is simply this that God wants to be in relationship with us. I want you to take a moment this morning and really consider that reality. Consider it anew and afresh in light of God's pursuit of you. The Lord of all creation wants to be in a relationship with you. He sees you just as you are. He knows you better than you know yourself. He loves you even when you don't love Him back. And He still wants to be, He wants you to be in a relationship with Him so much that He was willing to leave the glories of heaven And come to this broken earth in order to find you. He loves you so much that he was willing to give up his eternal life. And die upon a cross in order to save you. He wants you to be so connected with him that he is willing to make his home in your heart. And he will keep calling and calling and calling your name. And knocking on the door of your heart. Until you let him in. God loves you that much. You are that valuable to Him. This is why the Lord pursues us. It's why He calls you to Himself. Because He wants to be in a relationship with you. Not like the kind of relationship that you might have with a funeral director. Where you make plans when you're healthy. And then never visit Him again until the day that you die. Jesus wants a real relationship with you. Like a friend, he describes it sometimes. Like a brother, he describes it at other times. He wants a real, daily, living, active, engaging relationship with you. And he wants you to be in that kind of a relationship with him. But the relationship aspect of it is only the beginning. 
Because what we see in the end of our passage today is that the Lord has so much more in store for you than simply knowing Him. This is the second point that I want to make this morning. That God doesn't just pursue us so that we'll know Him. And so that He can save us when we die one day. But He actually invites us into His divine life with Him here and now. That's what we see at the end of our passage today. In John chapter 1, after Jesus amazes Nathanael by his knowledge of him and his pursuit of him, Jesus then says in verse 50 and following, says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. For truly, truly, I say to you, You will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, in that statement, Jesus is referencing the story of Jacob's ladder from Genesis chapter 28, in which Jacob had a dream where he saw a ladder that stretched up to the heavens and he saw angels Climbing up and down on that ladder, coming back and forth between heaven and earth. And when Jacob woke up from his dream, he said to himself, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob had a vision of heaven breaking into earth. And of the heavenly realm coming to have an impact on our physical world. And so when Jesus references this dream and indicates that the heavens will be opened and that the angels of God will be ascending and descending on the Son of Man, what he is effectively saying is that I'm Jacob's ladder. I'm the bridge between heaven and earth. I'm the gate of heaven. I am the means by which all of the resources of heaven come to bear on this physical life. And he's inviting Nathaniel to follow him into this kind of heavenly life. And to witness and to experience these kinds of heavenly things in this life. Jesus is basically inviting Nathaniel into his divine life with him. Here in this present world. In the Anglican Church, we call this a sacramental worldview. Which is simply a way of seeing the world that claims that there exists both a visible and an invisible reality to life. A physical and a spiritual realm that are always present. And that because of Jesus and his presence with us. Those two realms are not separated, but are intrinsically connected and are constantly interacting. And this understanding of the world should have a profound impact on our lives. Because the implications of this reality are that now everything has divine meaning. Because the presence of God can come to bear on it all. And that nothing is beyond redemption. Because the grace of God and the power of heaven are ever present to redeem and to restore 
and to renew. A sacramental worldview reminds us that this world is an enchanted place that is filled with beauty and meaning and mystery and power and wonder and is ultimately all that our hearts long for. This is what our life with God is intended to be. This is the abundant life, the life that is truly life, that Jesus says he came to give us. This is why he initiates relationship with us and pursues us in love so that we might follow after him and share with him in his eternal kind of life here on earth. Is that what you expect out of your life with God? Is that what you're expecting in your life with God? This is what the Lord desires for your life with Him. He wants you to live a life of meaning and purpose and significance where the resources of heaven are coming to bear on your heart and your mind and your body and your relationships and your work where you live with hope and expectation that throughout your life, God is with you to bless you. That in sickness, God might heal you. That in your broken relationships, God might reconcile. That in the places where you're trapped by sin, that God might set you free. That in your scarcity, God will provide. That in your discouragement, God might lift your head. That in your sorrow, God can still give to you joy. That in chaos, God can still give you his peace. That in times of worry, God can help you to be unafraid. That in every aspect of life, God is there to help you, to be with you. That even in your death, God would give you eternal life. These are the greater things that Jesus says we'll see when we live our lives following him. Heaven opened and interacting with our lives, abundant and eternal life lived here now on earth. Christ's life lived in and through us. Are you experiencing it? If you are, praise be to God. Keep pressing further up and further into your life with Him. Because the reality is, is you can never plumb the depths of God's goodness towards you. So keep growing in this kind of life with Him. If you're not experiencing that in your life with God, however, if all of that feels foreign to your experience with Jesus, don't be discouraged. Because the fact that you are not aware of this kind of life and that you may not yet be experiencing it in your daily life, doesn't mean that it's not happening and that it's not available to you. In John chapter 1, Jesus tells us this is who he is, right? He is the bridge of heaven. And that if we follow him, this is what we will see. Heaven opened and interacting with earth. And so if we're not experiencing this in our life with Jesus... The question may be, are we expecting it 
And do we have eyes to see it? And here's what I mean by that. In one of the most famous stories in the Bible, Moses and the burning bush, there's a fascinating moment where the burning bush is on fire and not being consumed. But it is not until Moses turns aside to consider it that the Lord begins to speak to him. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 4, it says that when the Lord saw that Moses turned aside to see, then God spoke to him out of the bush, saying, Moses, Moses. God's intervention into this world was already happening. But it wasn't until Moses turned aside and paid attention that the Lord began to engage him in it. And there are other examples like this as well. Remember Balaam's donkey from Numbers chapter 22? When the angel of the Lord was was blocking Balaam's path, but Balaam had no idea that that was happening because he couldn't see him. He wasn't expecting an angel to be there. He wasn't looking for an angel to be there. And so he couldn't see the angel. And it wasn't until his donkey, who could see things clearly, sat down in the path and began to speak to Balaam, that Balaam's eyes were opened to see the heavenly reality that was right before his eyes all along. Well, what about Elisha and the invisible army from 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elijah's servant was afraid because he thought that his city was being surrounded by the Syrian army and that they were outnumbered and about to be killed. But Elijah told his servant not to be afraid. And then prayed, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. At which point the young man's eyes were open and he could see that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire, all there to defend God's people. It was there all along. Heaven had broken into earth, but the servant couldn't see it. And I think the same is often true for us. Jesus said that his disciples will see heaven breaking into earth when they follow him. So when we're not seeing that, it may be that we need to begin looking for it, expecting it, believing that what Jesus said is true, and asking God to help us see it and to experience it. Church, in this story of the calling of Philip and Nathaniel, What we see is that the Lord pursues us so that we might see and experience and live the divine life with Him. The eternal life now. The heaven kind of life here on earth. This is what the Lord desires for our life with Him. May it be what we seek and begin to experience in our life with Him. For God's glory and for our good. Amen.